Thank God for that. We've wasted a lot of our time in life, haven't we? We've done all kinds of different things and wasted a lot of our abilities. Thank God for grace to us to help us to be there even when we don't deserve Him. We don't. We do nothing worthy of it. Praise the Lord. Glad to have each of you with us today. It's always a privilege for us to be gathered together in the presence of God. If you turn with me to the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, please. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Certainly want to welcome all the visitors that are with us today here from Brother Charlie's home going. Certainly going to miss our brother. We've already been missing him for a while. Really not been able to come to church and not felt himself for the last couple of years. How grateful we are that there's a land beyond the river. I want to speak to you today on the honeymoon. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear. And remember, this is what she was really concerned about, the little foxes stealing those grapes. And the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. Now, all these verses are now spoken, of course, by the bride. She's recognizing her position in verse 10. If you notice, she says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. She's not hoping she's saved. She's not hoping she's a recipient of grace, but she recognizes her position. And then in verse 11, she enters into a phase which up so far into the Song of Solomon has only been his to say, and that is, come. But now she's saying it. She is asking for him to go with her into the millennium. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you for your grace and love today, Lord. Thank you for this time, Lord Jesus, that we could be gathered together. We ask, Lord, that you'd come by and once again speak to us, meet with us. Thank you for the singing, the music, prayer request, every portion of the service thus far. Lord, we're just praying that you'd continue to be with us. Dear God, you see this prayer cloth that I have in my hand for our sister Linda Jablonski. You know the need, Lord. I just pray that you'd let your anointing go with it, dear Father. I pray, Lord, that you would just move for Brother Eugene Kennedy in the hospital today doing some tests on him, Father. May the grace of God just be with our brother. Speak to us once again, Lord, as only you can do. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, God bless you. You may be seated. We know that God has an order, a great order of events that are transpiring and have been transpiring for millennia. We're certainly glad to be a part of that. 
the order of events that are imminent, that are before us and before the world, is of course the next greatest thing is the rapture for the church, for the elect of God. The rapture transports us and takes us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. While the bride is enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb for three and a half years in heaven, the tribulation period, at the very day that the bride goes up, Satan comes down. His chief demon has been here in headship, trying to manipulate everything and get it all ready in order for the headship of Satan himself. We know that as God is doing it, building a supernatural kingdom, so the devil's doing the same thing, while the ecumenical council and all these things are coming together, and one day the head demon will move inside the pontificate himself, the pope, and he will reside there, maybe already there, who knows, until the bride goes up. Satan is not going to come out of heaven until you get ready to go up. But one day Jesus will make the announcement and say, devil, out. Well, when that announcement comes, you'll say, devil out, bride up. Praise the Lord. That's the day we're looking for, is it not? But then whenever we come into that stage and we're going to be there in the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is more than our minds, of course, can comprehend what all it's going to be like. We don't know exactly all the particulars as far as the marriage supper. I've never been able to find much in Scripture or in the message, what it'll all curtail, what it'll involve. But no doubt it'll be wonderful beyond anything that we can imagine. But we know that in that setting that that is not the bride's last state. That the bride will move beyond the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we will come back down upon the earth. Now the marriage supper is simply that space of time that will be there for three and a half years. And everything up through the millennium is still dealing in time. But seven is completion. Or when God becomes perfected. Now watch this in the Song of Solomon. Again chapter 7 verse 10. The identification of what she sees about her position and about his. And she He says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Now, it's the exact same word that we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when God begins to pronounce the judgment upon the serpent, upon Adam, and upon Eve. And he tells Eve, thy desire shall be unto thy husband. So the word their desire is the ruling part or the appetite of her nature. But now here something has happened toward the bride. Actually, it was part of the curse in the book of Genesis chapter 3. But here the bride is not identifying this as a curse. Here, of course, in Genesis 3, it speaks about sexual desire. But the bride sees it as something beyond that. Something beyond multiplication. But she sees the same word, and that is that his ruling desire or his main thoughts, his main intentions are toward me. Now what was the woman's curse has now turned around to be the the bride's greatest blessing. Notice in Psalms 139.17 How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Now look what to the elect of God that the very desire of the Lord Jesus projects. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number 
than the sin. Now, could you imagine God thinking of you and I and God loving you and I so much that His thoughts toward us are more than the sands that is on the seashore? Now, to think that the grace of God and the mercy of God, that it is summed up in the thoughts of God. That is, everything that He thinks about us. And the things that He wants us to become. And the things that He shared with us. Oh my, they've just started in time. Believe me, friend. They will continue to unfold in eternity. So you can imagine then the greatness of the sum of God's thoughts toward us as individuals and toward collectively as the people of God that they would number more than the sands. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now this is God saying it, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now here again, the bride has been able to obtain a highly sought after favor, which can only be given by divine sovereignty, and that is the mercy of God. So she says, uh, his desire is toward me, I am my beloved's, his desire, his ruling appetite, that which desires the ultimatum of his love is toward me. Now in saying that, she doesn't say that he doesn't love other people because he does, and we know that God loves the foolish virgins, 144,000, and God so loved the world, cosmos, world order, that he gave his only begotten son, so a sign of maturity of the bride is being able to recognize she's not the only one who has favor in his sight. Notice again, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 11. Come, my beloved, and let us go forth into the field. Now, here, up prior to this time, it is the word that is used by Christ. But if you'll notice, as we move into the phase of the book of Revelation, that the Spirit says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. So here, she is now not saying it to the world, but she is saying it unto him. Now, remember, the Shulamite was actually a country girl. Now the call of the bride church here is for more of his divine presence. You see she's moved past the stage to where that she's really questioning am I saved or am I not saved or am I in, am I out, does he love me, does he not love me. The confessions thus far of these two verses are of a mature woman that knows his desire is toward her. That she has found the ultimate of all favor which can be obtained from the divine sovereign being called God and that is that his very desire is toward you. And once God reveals that to you, it will absolutely transform your life. It will not make you to where you want to do wrong, that you want to sin. It will make you love him more than you ever thought imaginable in your mind. Or you say it'll make me loose. No, if it makes you loose, you still ain't got it yet. Because it will so humble you. It will get rid of pride. It will get rid of arrogance. It will get rid of your idea. Well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. What you've got to do is accept his love and submit to it and be so grateful that he feels that way about you. 
Now notice then she, she has got a boldness that we never see her having quite before. In that she would be the usurper of the call. So she is now beckoning him before it was him saying, come my love, come my dove, let's go here, let's go there, let's do this, let's do that. But now she's come to her state to where, now remember in the time setting, this is now actually the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's in a glorified state. And she's moved into this spot to where that she's actually wanting to go back to the earth. Why in the world would she want that? Because remember, she her, her natural patronage come from the earth. So remember the title of the message that Brother Branham preaches to us. It's entitled, The Future Home of the Heavenly Bridegroom and the earthly bride. So even when eternity unfolds as the seventh uh, time mentioned of course ends at the end of the millennium and all, all we're living in right now of course the eternity is like a circle. All time has done has been a little small loop which is looped right down on the bottom if you wish to put it there on the bottom of the circle of eternity. So time however long time has been going on billions of years, hundreds of thousands of years. It's simply dropped out of the circle called eternity and made a little loop or what the prophet called a little hickey and he come down and looped into this called time but at the end of the millennium after the white throne judgment then time will cease to exist all it does is the loop comes right back up and ends on the farther side and goes right back into the circle now remember time is also in eternity as well so here is eternity as Self the circle and it begins way back here it loops down a little bit like this at the end of the millennium it goes right back up into the circle again and then we enter into the eighth day and of course there are not eight days in a week there's only seven so the eighth day is taking us back to the first day and eight is the number of new beginning or new creation Praise the Lord. Now, she is now desiring and petitioning him. Now, they've been in heaven, of course. And heaven, we know, is, is a wonderful, no doubt, absolutely wonderful place. A blissful place in his presence. But yet, there's something about the bride, the Shulamite in tithe, that she's wanting to go back out to the country. She's wanting to go out into the fields. And she's wanting to go back into the place that she's familiar with. So, she says... Let us go back and let us smell the flowers and let us uh, see about the mandrakes and let us uh, go into the villages and let us go. What in the world would she want to do that for? Well, this is where that her body come from. And actually the Lord God himself knowing that, so he come to the earth in the form of sonship called the Lord Jesus. And he took himself a permanent body from the earth. And then he said, from this part of the earth, I will redeem the rest of it. So God then creates a human body called Jesus, which was the Son of God as we know it. It was God's sonship upon the earth or God's humanity. And from that, God took that portion of the earth to redeem all the rest of the earth. So not just you and I, but the very planet itself because the earth is one of God's attributes. 
This is why he cannot destroy it. It's one of God's attributes. That's right. So here she begins to express her desire to be able to go out. Notice she says, come my beloved, let us go forth into the field and let us lodge in the villages. Now remember, when we come into the millennium, it'll be the divine monarchy of God. It will be that perfect kingdom that will be established upon the earth in perfection, I mean, for those who've entered into it. There will also be those living on the earth in non-glorified bodies. But yet it's hard to imagine but there will be people here in perfection who will have already come through the rapture and got their body changed but there will be mortals living here on the earth that will not be glorified and there will be people who will be called up now remember the the millennium is is simply the finishing up of the seventh day it is the finishing up or the closure of the millennium which started in the garden of eden and it was put on a temporary pause or a hold until the cycle of redemption could be complete and actually in the millennium we will be worshiping under the feast of tabernacles now notice her her desire Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Now, you remember the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that God gave to the children of Israel to commemorate coming out of the land of Egypt and them living in booths. So in the worship of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would actually go out of their homes and they would build a temporary shelter and they would live in this shelter for so many days and they would keep the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. So the millennium is actually the final phase of the Feast of Tabernacles. So she is calling for the Feast of Tabernacles to be consummated in the millennium. Oh glory. Notice who it is that's calling for it to happen. The bride. Amen. Come, my beloved. Let us go forth into the field. Now, she's not wanting to go to heaven. She's not wanting to go into the seventh dimension. She's certainly not wanting to go into the sixth. But what does she want to do? She's wanting to go back into fields. She's wanting to go back into fields and lodge in the villages. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish. What is it? It's the natural things and the productivity which has been restored to the earth. Why in the world is she wanting to do that? She is so in tune now in this glorified body with the Father's own plan. She desires what he wants. And oh, amen. He, he wants this to happen on the earth and she's now so entered into that union that her desire is his desire and his desire is her desire. So she is actually asking for the beginning of the millennium. Oh, I wish it could start today. Praise God. Let us see of the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. Notice now, when she starts out singular in the first chapter and she moves over into the three, two, three, four, and five, and six, she never expounds this multiplicity of the ability that she has to love. But here she doesn't say it's in a singular form, but she says, there will I give thee my love. She now realizes she has the ability to diversify. The mandrakes give a smell and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I, which I, which I have 
have laid up for thee, oh my beloved. Now remember, this is the bride saying this. This is not the groom saying, well, I've done this for you and I've done that for you and I've done that for you. But the bride is now saying, look, look what I have in store for you, my beloved. Now what chapter are we in in the Song of Solomon? What chapter is this? How many are there in the Song of Solomon? So we're in chapter 7. Feast of Tabernacles, millennium. Notice question answers on Genesis. God hallowed the seventh day. Six days was man. Seventh day was God's rest day, which was a type of the millennium. Again, he says, seven is the perfect, the day of worship. Seven days and so forth, 7,000 years, then the millennium of 6,007 in the millennium. And so everything in the Bible types, you know, in threes, sevens, twelves, twenty-fours, forties, and fifties. So we know the numerics of the Bible certainly have a great emphasis on the cycle of what God is doing. Notice again, in 6,000 years, God built the world. 7,000 is a type of the millennium. His rest. And God labored and built the world in six days, 6,000 years which you know the scripture speaks of today as a thousand years in heaven and the church has labored against sin for six thousand years and the seven thousandth is the millennium the memorial to all creation that God has redeemed his church Praise the Lord. Told Adam the day you eat there, the day you die. When he lets a man live through the thousand years, it is a type and a memorial that he will never no more destroy man. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Notice again, question answer. Now we got a thousand years after the church has gone home and comes back upon the earth. Then time ceases in the new heavens and the new earth. Now the millennium is not the new heavens, you know. The millennium is not the new heavens and the new earth. There will still be sin after the millennium. The millennium is a type of Noah going into the ark and carried over and brought Ham on the other side and sin come out of the ark, see? But Enoch, the translated one, was a type of the bride that went up, not the one that was carried over. So sin will still be on the other side of the millennium. Can you imagine people living on this earth for a thousand years under the millennium reign of the son of David? The Lord Jesus will be sending forth the law from Jerusalem that will be the glorified saints of God living in glorified bodies upon the earth. And there will be human beings living on the earth. They will see him in a glorified body, us in a glorified body, and yet they will make their choice at the end of the millennium to re- bail against the Lord Jesus. It shows you my friends that atmosphere alone will not make people live right. If they don't want to live right, I don't care how great your church is, how wonderful your singing is, how wonderful your pastor is, so on and so on and so on. If they don't want to live right, they won't even live right in the millennium. God could give some people a million years on this earth and at the end of that million years they would still choose to rebel against him. You are blessed today if you want to serve God. 
Think of it. These folks will have a thousand years. And some of you is 14, 15, 11, 12, 20, whatever it was. And you heard it and it struck your heart. These folks will have a thousand years to make up their mind for God. And at the end of that thousand years, they'll go up and they'll join ranks of the devil. Holy fire from God out of heaven will come down and annihilate them. Ah, notice this. There will be sin after the millennium. The millennium is a type of Noah going in the ark and carried over and brought Ham and them on the other side. And sin even come out of the ark, see? But Enoch, the translated one, was a type of the bride that went up, not the one that was carried over. So sin will be on the other side of the millennium. Listen. But not during the millennium. Why? Satan will be bound with a chain of circumstance. Now, the people are on the earth that he can work through, but him and them can't connect. Amen. God's got him bound. Oh, praise be to God. God's got him bound. There will be no sin on the earth. Praise the Lord. But yet, there will be people who don't want to live right, but there is no sin because the main sinner is bound up in hell. Praise be to God. Don't tell me your prayers can't have power over your children. Don't tell me your prayers cannot have power over conditions. All God's got to do is bind that devil away from your children, away from your loved ones. God's got power that's above anything the devil can ever do. So, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows how many there will be. But there will be thousands or possibly even millions of people on the earth that are not living in glorified bodies. But yet there won't be no drinking, no smoking, no running around, no lying. The major sin, the major punishable, not sin, the major punishable offense, let me say it this way, will be not going to church. Winston pale male drinking all that sort of thing there won't be none of it there well some of y'all looking at me funny now notice during the millennium he says his peace but sin will be dealt with on the other side of the millennium then time listen time fades out so the loop will come right down and it'll finally just go right back into eternity this is why it cannot be annihilated in the seventh church age no sin cannot be destroyed in the seventh church age it must come after Eden notice in Genesis 2-2 on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he had rested from all his work which God had created and made so God enters into his millennium when man is in the garden of Eden then God is called out of his millennium because of his son and his daughter their sin and their unbelief so God simply puts the millennium on hold 
Because the millennium would not be the millennium without the people of God. So God simply puts the millennium on hold. Oh, praise the Lord. But God knows, amen, it's only been on pause. So God reached up and pressed the pause button as it were, but it ain't gonna be long. The finger of God's gonna push play again. That's right, we're going to resume it. Notice this Leviticus 25, 3. Six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years shalt thou prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, and a Sabbath for the Lord shalt thou neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. Now this, notice all the sevens that God reflected in the Old Testament types. So they're to sow their fields, they're to reap their harvest and do all this for six years. But then every, every cycle of this coming in the seventh year, they did not do that. Why? It was a type of the coming millennium, also the type of the rest of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. So then God went on to say, now you ask me, how will we live? Now God said, what will happen in the sixth year is that it will bring forth threefold. I will actually bless the crops so abundantly that they will produce more and more and more. So the whole fields, all the vineyards, everything, you let them rest for the millennium. Amen. Notice Deuteronomy 15, 12. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go from thee. So again, in the tithe, then liberality is going to be produced on seven. And we know, of course, that this was carried out also in the year of Jubilee, which was every 50th year, but this was every seventh year. So then if you bought a brother, he got in a real difficult spot and you was able to secure that brother on the seventh year the Laodicean church age the seventh seal the seven 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 then when it comes to that time guess what that brother gets to go free according to the word of God every time a man walked out being free he was foreshadowing the coming millennium Every year that the crops, amen, was held back from the land, they was foreshadowing and prophesying of the coming millennium. There is nothing that will stop it. Revelation chapter 5 verse 10, and has made us under our God kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Man, I hope I'm near when that happens. Woo, praise God. Bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. That sounds like a good place. That old boy going to be falling for a thousand years. While we're up there enjoying the blessed millennium, hallelujah, in the kingdom of God, it's a good place for the devil. Just be tossing and turning around, heading in the bottomless pit. Amen. Notice, now he set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Now look how powerless that a sinner, an unconverted person really is without the power of the enemy to come upon him. Now there'll be thousands, as I said, or millions of unconverted people living on the earth, and yet they do not have the power to generate sin from within themselves without Satan himself being there. So here they are, they're unconverted, they're in human bodies, possibly even having children, 
spirit, all these things that are human, 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 human. And they're humans under the messianic kingdom of the son of David, and yet they still cannot sin. They still cannot run around and lie and cheat and do this and that and the other. The devil has to be able, the power to be able to anoint them. Listen to me, children. Do you understand that us as a human being by the power of God, God gave us the powerful thing called choice? Oh, you said the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do it. The devil anointed you and you surrendered your will. The bottom line is every one of us have choices and we are responsible for those choices. But God said in the millennium, I'm going to take care of that. All right, boys, I'll take the key over there, open the bottomless pit, kick the devil in and put a seal on him. Praise be to God. Now he said, let peace begin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. That he should deceive the nations. Notice, not the bride. The nations outside the city are the only ones that have the potential to be deceived. So God separates the elect even in the millennium. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. Why? Because seven is completion. Seven is the end, and then it rolls right back into eternity, so sin will be dealt with and totally annihilated when? At the end of seven. Praise be to God. Now, notice in verse four, John said, I saw thrones, which is peculiar. I saw thrones, plural. I saw thrones and they, plural, that sat upon them, plural, and judgment was given unto them. Now we're not talking about three gods. We're not talking about a, you know, a polytheistic ideology of the Godhead, but we're talking about the saints of God which are going to rule on the earth in the millennium. Right. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon the forehead or in their hand. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is what the bride is calling for. Come. Oh, my beloved, let us walk into the villages. Let us move into the... Why, well, friend, what is there something about us? What is it about human beings that love parks? What is it about human beings that love going to waterfalls and seeing national parks and seeing lakes? And what is it about us that we love that? We were born into this earth. It is ingrained as it was in our nature. There's something about us getting out in the, you know, no matter what your nature is. Some of you like mountains and some of you like plains and some of you like valleys. But there's something about getting out. Even sometimes when you're all frustrated and upset, you just go out for a Sunday afternoon drive or, you know, Monday afternoon drive and just see what's going on. Why? Because there's something in us calling for that perfect place. We look around and we see our mountains how they've changed in the last few weeks and they've got flat ugly. Have they not? 
Oh my, they've turned flat ugly. But we know there'll be another spring. And we know they'll come around. But there's something about fall and winter that tends to bring sadness. And tends to bring depression upon people. Why? It's against our cycle of what we know life is. And the earth itself is also growing. We don't hear her today. We don't hear the animals. We don't hear them by our ear. But the whole creation is groaning. What are they waiting for? The millennium. Notice this in the future home, this millennium reign, the thousand years, is not the new earth. See, the millennium reign is a different reign that we go into the millennium, but it isn't the new earth, the new heaven. No, no, that's just a rest place. See, a rest period, not at all the new heavens and the new earth. For you see, in the millennium, we have things that would not go into that. It's a type of the old seventh day out of Eden. The seventh day actually made the world. The seventh day he rested in Eden and the millennium. So after the millennium, sin will be judged. We have the great white throne judgment. And then the whole earth is changed for hundreds and hundreds of miles. The surface of the earth and she comes out from there different. Oh, praise God. But yet in the millennium, the bride will be with the prince. The millennium is a type of the seventh day. Then comes the white throne judgment. See, we still have judgment. We still have time. In the millennium, it's a day. 1,000 years. It's a time element. For those brothers who are preaching that we've already moved into the eighth age. How do you move out of the seventh into the eighth and come back into the seventh to fulfill the millennium and then back into the eighth? I'm getting sick, going back and forth, back and forth. Our souls have moved into the eighth day, into eternity, but in the time element, we consistently run right on up to the very end of the millennium itself. Now, don't get that mixed up with the new words because it's not it. Notice again, he said, notice seven days only has to do with the old creation world time. Seven days. That's the millennium, the rest day. So the bride is calling, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you do that? Well, I'll tell you one thing I do. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, redeem your people. Get us out of this place. And yet, When I think about leaving, I don't think about going to heaven and floating around on clouds. I don't think about going up there and just sitting around and doing nothing. Maybe to some of y'all, that's your idea. You need to retire. You're you're at that age, apparently. (laughs) You know, to me, heaven is not a place where we float around and play guitars and all that. Clouds. I'm a human. I was made a man. Glory to God. It don't seem natural. I seen in videos last night, it's showing the brother Charlie's service. And brother Louie is a young man. Some of you were younger people and I was younger. And you think, wow, what's happening to all of us? POWs. Prisoners of war. What are you talking about? In these bodies, we are prisoners of war. We are held captive by the element of time until we are released. But can you imagine now you're on the earth in the millennium. Jerusalem has now become changed. Even in the millennium, the preceding of the eighth day, Jerusalem enters into a change. I'll tell you one thing I found this yesterday. I about had a runaway. 
Notice this. In the millennium, we're under the Feast of Tabernacles again on the seventh day. But then after the seventh day, we have a holy convocation. We go back into the eternal. How? By the eternal one that came and redeemed us and taken us back, letting us recognize that we are a part of this. Now let us go into the divine monarchy. God's perfect way of government is a king. Democracy sounds good, but it'll never work. Psalms 2.6 Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now this is not David. This is David prophetically uttering of his own son, which is not Solomon, but Jesus. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen. Now the heathen will actually be the unconverted that live outside the glorified body realm in the millennium. If you can understand it, God has kept down through the ages people of every age possibly that have never been exposed to truth. And God will never bring them to judgment and judge them for truth if they've never heard truth. So there have been people that have lived down through time and will continue to live down through time in the Laodicean church age that will never hear the truth or the gospel. They are reserved for a slot in the millennium. Praise be to God. Now God classifies these as the heathen. So he speaks to the sonship and said, Ask of me the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Why would the Lord Jesus want the earth? Well, he knows how it is marrying a woman and she's so in love with her mama. She just can't hardly leave mama. So Jesus relocates. Some of you folks that's got a young daughter thing about getting married, y'all don't even remember that now. Use that on that boy. Now look, why is he going to give him the earth? Because God loves. If you understand it, I don't know why. Earth is not the biggest planet. Earth is not the largest in size. She's very minute when you look at her compared to many other stars and planets that are in the universe. But for whatever reason, God chose the earth. Out of billions of planets, God gave her a special favor in his sight. And earth's name is written in the Bible. Find me Mars in the Bible, Pluto's in the Bible, Arcturus is sure, that's a constellation. But find me these others and show me where God ever called them by name. And God always refers to the earth as feminish. Praise God. Notice in verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces. This could only have fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. Not another Hebrew monarch. From Saul to the very end of the dividing of the northern and the southern kingdom. Ever ruled very beyond the border of the decreed borders of the children of Israel. God never had a Hebrew monarch to ever rule Egypt. He never had a Hebrew monarch to rule Lebanon. To rule Iraq, Iran, Persia, all those places. Never. 
Their boundary was given to them that small strip of land called Palestine. Amen. But the real Hebrew monarch will be given the world. Hallelujah. Now, you remember that Carol and I went over with some of the saints over in May, over to the land of Israel. And so we was coming across in front of us there in the, in the seat in the plane in front of you is a, is a little monitor of a thing. And you're able to monitor your flight. It tells you the altitude. It tells you the ground speed you're going. It tells you how long it's been since you left the distance where you were, how long you are to coming to it. And as I came across, I realized that we were coming over the Mediterranean. And as I began to look at it and see how far it was from the Mediterranean over to the land of Israel. And I realized as I was flying and sitting there contemplating on the scripture and knowing that when the city actually comes down the Mediterranean will be gone. Now John looks at it and he says I saw no more sea. Now the land of Israel borders of course the Mediterranean and there would not be room for the city to be able to set down since it's 1500 miles square at the base. It would not be able to set down because and it must have seemed so strange in the vision that John would have seen the Holy Land and yet looked at it and thought where's the Mediterranean? That's all he knew was a he was raised up on that. He saw the sea, saw the Sea of Galilee, saw those things. He said, what happened to the sea? Where is the sea? He didn't say there wasn't rivers, didn't say there wasn't lakes, didn't say there wasn't streams, but he said there was no more sea. The Mediterranean will be gone. But you see, even in the millennium, when the millennium temple is reconstructed, Ezekiel 44 through 48, uh, there also will be a body change that will come to the city of Jerusalem before the eighth day kicks in. Amen. Amen. You see, the bride will enter into a body change before the eighth day. So Jerusalem enters into a change of her topological distances and all that's around her. Because those of you that are familiar with Jerusalem, you know that she's set up in a little high place. But there's hills and valleys and hills and valleys. And you go up and down and up and down to get to one. But God said, nope, ain't going to be that way in the millennium. I'm fixing to change it and I'm going to make everything around it like a plane. But I'm going to raise Jerusalem up. Can you imagine the topology of the ground that the millennium destruction of what will take place is that the millennium will actually bring in a change and the rest of the earth won't have this entire change but the city will. And the city will be like a light or a city that's set on a hill. Notice Psalms 2.10. Be wise now therefore. All ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Now look in verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Oh. Notice, kiss the son. Now, of course, the word kiss here is different than what we think in the Western terminology. It was an oriental way of giving your sign of submission unto a dignity. So then when you would come to the king, you would take his hand or kiss his hand or take the bottom of his robe and kiss his robe. Now watch, God is demanding complete submission by the kings that will live on the earth in the millennium. They must bow. I'm glad I'm kissing now. (laughs) 
I kiss my allegiance to the king. Now, that's why I ain't worried about what man says. I'm worried about what God says. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. So it is a, a, an ability. They also to worship false images and gods and idols. They done exactly the same thing. They would kiss the idol. They would bow and pay homage. And they would submit themselves. And the kiss was a sign of their seal of their loyalty. So God is demanding in the millennium that not only kings and rulers, but every mortal that will live on the earth to kiss the son or what? He will be angry. Oh my. Kiss the son lest he be angry. My, we hear so much about the loving, kind, sweet, tender Jesus. Have you ever really looked at the passage of Scripture in the book of Revelation? The wrath of the Lamb. We don't associate the Lamb being angry. The lamb be having, having anger, but the scripture says the wrath really, of the lamb. People talk about his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. I love it and I need it too. But I thank God for his excellency and his majesty. Oh my. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Luke chapter 7 verse 38. And there stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. What's she doing? Kissing the son. Lest he be angry and pronounce judgment. But when she kissed the son, she gave her obeisance, her homage to him. And what did she get in return? Go and sin no more. I say to this woman, your sins are many, but they are forgiven. Ridicule me, laugh at me, make fun of me, do whatever you want to do. I intend to kiss the sun every day of my life, all of my life. Because I don't want him angry. Oh, but you see, there is, there is a reciprocating part about this to the bride. And that is the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Amen. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine. Not only is the bride paying homage and submission to her royal highness, the king, but the king loves her so much, unlike the dignitaries of the east and the time frame this was written. You'd never hardly ever find a king that would ever kiss one of his subjects or a king that would take in one of his, you know, his, his those that rule with him in power and he would ever kiss them. It was a sign of humility. But yet here we find the bride is not only submitting to him and kissing the son, but the son left the eternities and condescended down into time. Amen. And the bride is not afraid to ask him, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
Oh, you say, Brother Donnie, did he do it to me? If you're saved today, he did. He kissed away the wrath of God away from your soul. If you're sanctified, he kissed you and released to you a power of sanctification. If he gave you the Holy Ghost, he kissed you and put a seal upon your soul that you are here. Hallelujah. You kiss the Son and the Son kissed back. Praise be to God. You know, imagine of the millions of people on the earth, white, black, red, yellow, copper colored, whatever they are, that they will come up to the Feast of Tabernacles and they will worship and they will adore. The government will go forth from Jerusalem. The laws will be passed not by Congress and not by the Supreme Court. And we won't have a bunch of lawyers arguing the legitimacy of this law. And I'll tell you one thing, Jesus, you can't do this and you can't do that. Oh, yes, he can. It's not like a president where you're constantly in check by constitutional law. Thank God we've got it. We need it. But listen, brother, this is not an ordinary man sitting on the throne. This is not a president sitting on the throne. It is the word Morphe himself. It is the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a personage of the Lord Jesus called David. No wonder she is saying, come. Let us go. I would to God we could leave today. Can I have a few more minutes? The millennium government will be a divine monarchy. It will not be voted in, voted out. It will not come through a bunch of people approving or disapproving. (laughs) You either approve and come to church or you don't get no rain. It's up to you. (laughs) Jerusalem will rule over the entirety of the earth. Now, will the sea be gone? You know, to me, it's not really clear on some of the things as far as what's going to happen during the millennium as far as the topology of of the earth. But notice this in Psalms 132.11. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not firm from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Isaiah 16.5. And in mercy shall the throne be established. And he shall set upon it in truth in the tabernacle. Of David. Judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. Amos 9.11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David. That is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as it was in the days of old. Luke 131. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God, now remember the Lord God is not an old man up in heaven, but the Lord God is that pillar of fire, that light. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus humbling himself so much that he would be called the son of David and allow himself to be called in this lineage that he would allow David to be called his father, the father himself. You see, friends, this is a humility that man don't understand. 
man pushes on people. Man does whatever he does to climb up and be the top and be the best and the greatest. That ain't the way God looks at things. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. James speaking at Jerusalem. Uh, at Acts 15, 14. Simon hath declared how that God at the first did visit the Gentiles. To take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. Which is fallen down. Now remember the northern kingdom was divided. Israel and Judah. Israel went into apostasy first. But Judah was able to maintain a stability, at least a partial truth for many, many years under Hezekiah and under Asa and some of the other kings. But eventually they all went off. North and southern kingdom all went off to the end. And the very kingdom of David was annihilated in the sense of the natural aristocracy. But yet God says, I will build again the tabernacle of David. Why? There was a seed line beyond the natural seed line of David. David didn't know it, but in his spiritual genes was Christ the Word. He didn't realize. He thought, oh no, if my son don't and this son done and that don't. It was beyond Solomon. It was beyond all the natural seed. Don't you understand? It's beyond all of your human ability. It's beyond all of our works, all of our failures, all of my mistakes. It's our spiritual DNA is what God's looking at. Oh my, the devil surely thought, I've destroyed the church. I've annihilated the church. But God said, I will restore, saith the Lord. I will build up again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and I will build the ruins. Amen. Again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. The residue of men might seek after the Lord and all Gentiles upon whom thy name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Now watch Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called. Now notice it didn't say his name was. But his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. So how many fathers are there then? If he's the father and there's another one called Father, how many fathers are there? The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and the justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And the bride saying, Lord Jesus, when will there be peace on the earth? You tell me, how many days do you live on this earth as a mortal? And in those days, you can say you have perfect peace. Tell me how many days you live on this earth with no troubles. If it ain't you, it's your neighbor. And if it ain't your neighbor, it's your neighbor's 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 neighbor, neighbor. Or people you go to church with. Tell me, everywhere we look is trouble and dissatisfaction. Solomon was a type of this. First Chronicles 29, 23. Then Solomon sat on the throne of David as king instead of David his father and prospered. And all Israel obeyed him. All the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves 
unto Solomon the king. Well, let me just bring it on, fast forward it up into the millennium. All the sons and daughters of God will obey King Jesus. You know why? They do now. What David was unable to do, Solomon was able to achieve. Why? Because he was Jedediah, the beloved one, chosen of God for this purpose. God ushered in a kingdom of peace in the reign of Solomon that David never had. Amen. Though the word David itself means beloved. You imagine from the time that it starts, Solomon starts, everything just kind of calms down. There was people, I don't like you, I don't like you. All of a sudden, Solomon can't get, how you doing? How you doing? Good to see you. He said, my Lord, he didn't even like me. And then all of a sudden, he said, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I didn't like him. What was it? Solomon's reign, an antitype of the millennium. Peace. Can you imagine every day you get up for a thousand years? If you sleep, I'm not sure if we do or not. But every day you get up, nobody's mad. Whoa. Your pill boxes won't be in your medicine cabinet because there won't be none. Blood pressure medicine, gone. Heart medicine, gone. Oh, my uppers, downers, inners, outers, it's all gone. The king will usher in peace. Peace. Praise God. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been seen on any king before him. In Israel. Isaiah 2 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, said concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it, and many people shall go. And say, come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. Carol, as we stood at the Mount of Olives. As we stood at where Jesus, the Mount of the Beatitudes they got a big church there and all that standing there now. It's a perfect amphitheater. They actually scientifically took some instruments in there and set them all up and put a voice up here at the top and the people sloping, setting, sloping down the hills and the person way back yonder where 5,000 or so would be could hear you just as well as the person sitting 10 foot from you. And in my heart, I'm thinking, when Jesus stood here on the Mount of the Beatitudes, it was a prefigure. Of the millennium. For who will do the teaching? It won't be Brother Tim. 
Brother Tim won't set up his pulpit in, in the millennium. And Brother Tim go to preaching to us. And then Brother West go to teaching to us. There won't be Bible studies by this preacher and that preacher. The Lord Jesus, the great prophet king, will be teaching us. What is it? It'll be like the millennium. It will be like the millennium antitype on the Mount of the Attitudes that there he will sit upon the mount and he will begin to serve. But it won't be the law. Thou shalt not and thou shalt not. If you do this, you'll be thrown in jail. And if you do this, no. It'll be the great teacher himself. Notice, he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations. Notice now, this is not the eighth day, but the seventh. In the eighth day, there'll be no judging. But he will judge among, notice again, the nations, the unredeemed, the unglorified bodies. And they, glory to God, shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Oh, Happy Valley and wherever it is you go to church, come. Let's come to the house of God. Christ, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Who in their right mind could hear these things and not be like the bride and cry, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, please. Hasten the day that this will happen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today for your kindness to us. Lord, I pray that there won't be one of us missing. We know, Lord, for those who have said in the gospel dispensation and heard these truths preached, they will not be the ones raised in the millennium to give it a second chance. They've got their chance right now. And if they turn it down, they'll come before you at the white throne judgment and be judged for every gospel song they ever heard, every sermon they ever heard, every time they pass by a church sign and They caught a flicker in their eyes and said, God loves you. Every one of those things will be recorded and they'll answer for them. Lord Jesus, if there's any here today who have not kissed the Son, may they come to you in mercy. Like this woman whose sins were many, she was so wretched and vile. And the prophet said, how could a predestinated seed be in such a vile place? But it was. Thank you, Father. Oh, Jesus, hasten the day that this day will arrive. Dear God, may you give us peace as we live in this troubled world. There's so much anxiety and heartache and trouble in our homes, 
in our country, in our nation, in our world, everywhere we look. One calamity, one catastrophe. Our nation has never been where it's at politically. We're so pulled apart. People killing and going to schools and killing and destroying. It's just pre-tribulation, Lord. But Heavenly Father, if there's a pre-tribulation anointing released on the earth, there must be a pre-rapture anointing released on the bride to help her to be ready. Help us, Lord Jesus. We love you, Father, with all of our hearts. Amen. How many wants to be there? With all your heart. Stand, if you would, with me. Let me read you a couple of verses. Brother Eric, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 there. Let me just give you a little preview of what we'll look at again, Lord willing, next week. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. and The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Amen. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, reprove equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child. Now again, this is the millennium. In the eighth day, there are no little children. The little child shall lead them. So you look out on this earth in the millennium reign, and that will be the leopard and the calf. There will be the lion and the little sheep. The child will place his hand upon the cockatrice den, which is a very poisonous snake of the east. But all the animal kingdom has been subjected to the Davidic reign of our Lord Jesus. The lion won't look at you and snarl and growl and crouch and try to kill you. What made him do that is in the bottomless pit. Don't you understand, for those of you that's had a new birth and your nature has been eradicated, he might as well be in the bottomless pit as far as you're concerned. You ain't got no more desire for the world. Oh, he can bother you, tempt you, aggravate you, all that. But if you let your soul do the talking and let your flesh do the walking and harmony the walking talking of your unified body, your soul will do the subjection to God and make your body obey the word. The cow and the bear shall feed and their young ones shall lie down together. Notice, still productivity going upon the earth. Friends, the earth will bloom in her original Eden beauty. There'll be no struggle with the plants and there'll be no struggle of botany life. Animals will bloom and blossom. Continents that have disappeared will reappear. As I read just this week, through deep radar of satellites that they have found continents that they never existed. 
under the Antarctic. Now, so I saw just a picture the other day of a palm frond that was found hundreds and hundreds of feet deep in ice. One day she'll stand back up on her axis like she was in the beginning. Praise be to God. There'll be no more fall. There'll be no more winter. Praise the Lord. No wonder the bride was saying, come Lord Jesus. Praise God. Thank you Lord Jesus. The suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy. And all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Come Lord Jesus. Let's walk in the villages. Can you imagine as we walk in that place, there'll be no cries of pain. Look, friends, I've been in the cities of the world, the third countries of the world, in Bombay several years ago. You cannot imagine what them humans live like. Cardboard boxes of people along the main streets of Mumbai, now changed to Mumbai, then Bombay. Thousands times thousands times thousands of people, so many, they can't run them off. Along the main streets, living under pieces of tin or plastic or boxes. Doing anything and everything they can to be able to rake up a few rupees. To be able to buy some food. But in this kingdom, there'll be no beggars. The earth will explode in fertility. Praise be to God. And think of it. You'll be there in a glorified body. Being able to travel like a salt. So if you're at Jerusalem and in a moment of time you want to be in the United States, there you are. Why? You've moved into that dimension where the blessed live. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's sing something together. Hey, Don't you love him today? Don't you want to be there, friends? Don't let nothing hinder you. Kiss the sun now. Kiss the sun now before the wrath of the tribulation breaks loose upon the earth. Sweet Jesus, Lord Jesus, take me from this place. Oh Lord God, I really don't. Yes, Lord God, here now. I want to see your face. Oh, let's sing it together, can we? Come, sweet Jesus, amen. Come, take me. Lord God, come Lord Jesus. I really want to see you, Lord. 
everybody. for that beautiful city. I hear the prophet as he labors in the word and he comes down to that tremendous sermon. Future home and he comes down to the end of it. He sings the bear will be gentle and the wolf will be tame. Then he begins to sing this song. As he sings it, he gets so broke up that he can't even sing no more. And he said, oh God, the mother of my heart. And he calls the earth the mother of his heart. Let's sing this together before we go. I'm bound for that beautiful city. My Lord has prepared for his own. Where all the redeemed of all ages. Sing glory around the Oh, Lord God. Sometimes I grow homesick for heaven. And the glory I there shall behold. What a joy that will be when my Savior I see in that beauty. City. Turn around and shake hands with somebody and tell them I want to see you there. I'm bound for that beautiful city. My Lord has prepared for His own. Where all the redeemed of all ages, they sing glory. Brother Charlie, I want to see you there, buddy. Hallelujah! I grow homesick for heaven, and the glories I there shall be old. What a joy that will be! Oh, thank you, Jesus! Hallelujah! Praise God! Let's sing it again, saints. God bless you. Let's sing it. Oh, I'm bound for that beauty. 
beautiful city My Lord prepared for his own Amen. 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 Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. Amen. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord today? I want to kiss the sun right now. Don't want to wait right now. How about you? Praise the Lord. Well, just what a privilege it's been to be in the house of the Lord. Brother David, I want you to come up here right quick. Give us a verse and a course of how great thou art. Are we serving a great Savior? Are we serving a loving God? Friend, he's also be a God of judgment one day. I want to kiss him now, don't you? Brother David, God bless you. So appreciate Brother David. song last night. God bless you, brother. Could you pull up the first verse to how great thou art?
up how great thou art. Amen. So good to have had all of you in service today. Trust all of you will have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Stop and be thankful for what God's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. We're fortunate people, aren't we? If you're going to Brother Charlie's uh, graveside service tomorrow, uh, you need to be at the VA Veterans Administration building out there in Johnson City no later than 1035. So if you're planning on going to Brother Charlie's graveside service, remember that. Shake somebody's hand, tell them you love them. It's been great to be in the house of the Lord. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. God bless you. This is my